Welcome to NCBR's Elite Agent Podcast, the ultimate resource for real estate professionals looking to elevate their skills, master their craft, and achieve unparalleled success in this incredible industry. Hi there, and welcome to NCBR's Elite Agent Podcast. This is your ultimate resource to improve your business and your skills and get some great tips for the real estate industry. I'm very excited to be here today with Melissa Green of Sayre, Regan, and Thayer, an attorney office based in Newport, Rhode Island. Melissa is going to be speaking with us today about estate planning, probates, and trust issues. Melissa, thank you so much for being here and welcome. Thank you, Rhonda. I appreciate the opportunity. Hopefully this will be helpful to some of your, your agents out there. Terrific. So let's get started. I have a couple of questions for you this morning, Melissa. So to start us off, can you explain what estate planning is and why it is so important? Absolutely. Uh, Generally speaking, estate planning means putting in place documents to ensure in the event of disability, the right people that you trust are there to make the decisions for you, whether that be health care, financial decisions, uh, care decisions, but you making the decision about who is going to manage those affairs for you and the disposition of your assets upon your death, passing to those people that you would want to receive them or entities and in a way that you would want them to receive them, meaning could be outright to them or in trust for their benefit with other people helping manage funds for the beneficiaries you decide on. Great. And Melissa, what type of documents are typically included in an estate plan? So there are a lot of different clients who have a lot of different needs. So there are a multitude of estate planning documents, um, many different documents that are used during lifetime and at the time of death. But generally speaking, the everyday individual over the age of 18 needs a foundational estate plan. A foundational estate plan generally consists of one of two options, a will plan or a revocable living trust plan. Those plans both include HIPAA authorizations, documents that allow for the release of medical information to your loved ones in the event of an emergency, healthcare powers of attorney that ensure the right person you trust is named to make medical decisions for you if you cannot in the future, and durable powers of attorney to ensure that the right person, again, that you trust is named to make all other decisions for you, management of finances, care, collecting debts that are due to you, filing lawsuits on your behalf, you name it. Then a will is a document that disposes of your assets at the time of your death. Likewise, a revocable living trust uh, does the same thing, disposing of your assets at the time of your death, Uh, but does have a couple of benefits over the will plan in that a revocable living trust plan, which again includes HIPAA authorization, healthcare power of attorney, and durable power of attorney, but ensures that the uh, control of your assets in the event of disability is spelled out with more strict terms and can avoid probate. So a properly funded revocable living trust has the ability to avoid probate at the time of your death. 
Great. That's that's great information to know. I know you were just talking about a little bit about the benefits there of having the living trust. And in a moment, I want to talk about the probate process. Are there any drawbacks to setting up a living trust that someone should consider? Yes, uh, everything comes with benefits and detriments, of course. Generally speaking, uh, revocable living trust plans are more expensive to set up. Uh, It takes more time um, and it's more costly to establish a revocable living trust plan. It also is more work on not only the drafting attorney, but also on the client. In order to get the benefits of the revocable living trust, you actually have to go change the ownership or the beneficiary designations of most of your assets, if not all of them, to that trust to get the benefits of the revocable living trust. So a bit more expensive, a bit more work on the front end. That being said, that generally pays off in the long run for your family and your loved ones. Terrific. And so let's now go back to the probate process that you mentioned. So can you explain what that process is if if somebody's estate is going through probate? Absolutely. So probate is a public process of oversight. It is a court proceeding in which the the judge's job is to ensure that at the time of your death, your assets are collected, all final debts and expenses are paid, an estate tax return is filed for your estate, any taxes due are paid, and the beneficiaries of your estate receive what they are entitled to. So it's a, a process of oversight to finalize your affairs and transfer the assets uh, to your beneficiaries so that they can enjoy them without worrying about whether or not your creditors are going to come after them or their ability to convey them and make use of them into the future. Probate is only ever required if you own assets in your individual name without a joint owner, without a beneficiary at the time of your death, with one caveat, actually, and that's in real estate, you can jointly own property and still uh, have to go through probate or your family have to go through probate at the time of your death. And that's if you own the property jointly as tenants in common versus joint tenants with a right of survivorship. So for those assets that you own individually, no joint owner, no beneficiary, or that you might own as tenants in common, your interest would be frozen at the time of your death. Nobody has access or can make use or transfer those assets without first uh, being appointed by the probate court as either your executor, if you have a will, and thus the the judge's job would be to review the will, make sure it was signed in accordance with the law, no objections are made to it, or if they are, they're heard, and the, the judge makes a decision to allow the will for probate and appoint the executor, or if no will, we call it in an intestate estate, um, being distributed under the state's rules and laws, and in that position, the administrator would be appointed by the court, and then they have the ability to go collect those assets and, again, do those duties required, paying off final debts and expenses, filing that estate tax return, and then distributing the assets as required. Great. That's that's incredible information to know. And so kind of still building on that, um, Melissa, how often should somebody review or update their estate plan and what might what in their life might trigger the need for making some of those changes? 
That's a great question. There was a time in history where people used to put together their will, put it in a safe deposit box, hide it in a, in a shoebox in the closet, and never look at it again. And without much need to, those days are behind us. We need to revisit and review our estate plan generally about every three to five years would be my recommendation, or if there are any major life changes between that time frame. So there are law changes, there are IRS regulation changes that have an effect sometimes on your estate plan. So getting before an attorney to be able to talk about those changes on a regular basis is important. If they affect your plan, you may need to make changes to that plan. And of course, change in life circumstances. Children growing up, maturing, or maybe unfortunately not um, maturing, or somebody that you named um, not being available anymore to serve in that capacity, or you're not willing to give that power to them, requires reviewing and changing the documents. So I'd say every three to five years or any major life changes warrant a review and revisit of the plan. And so speaking of the person that you may ask to be either your executor or the trustee of your estate, um, what things should somebody consider when they are choosing that person to, to be in that role for them? That can be a really hard decision for people. You are ultimately deciding on the right person or persons to control your assets. And most often, um, especially in the event of disability, nobody's terribly comfortable that they have somebody who's capable of doing it exactly the way that they would. But we all need to find somebody or some you know, individuals that we're comfortable will do the best possible for us. Certainly that needs to be somebody that's trustworthy, hopefully organized, um, has the time. Uh, location is sometimes important. Geography, if they live close by, that is certainly often easier than if they live across the country. Uh, these are all factors that you want to look into. I mean, if you've got multiple children, you know, how do you choose the child that's most capable without potentially hurting the feelings of the others? It, it's a balance. It's a conversation I have with my clients every day, but you're generally looking for a trustworthy, um, organized uh, individual who can make the decisions in the best way that you would have made them had you been able to do so. Great. And um, and now, Melissa, I want to turn to talking a little bit about like power of attorney. I know in real estate, as real estate agents, this comes across, you know, our desk from time to time. Sometimes we have somebody signing papers for somebody else as their power of attorney. Um, but how does that work in estate planning as well? So there are lots of different types of powers of attorney. Um, in your overall estate plan, often we use something called a general durable power of attorney, a very powerful document that names somebody, again, that you trust to make all decisions for you. Literally, almost everything an attorney could think of that you have the ability to do can be delegated to another individual. And that's a lot of power, but necessary if you can't do so, because that avoids guardianships, conservatorships through the probate court while you're alive. It allows you to control who's going to make those decisions and keeps your affairs private and not in the purview of the public eye. 
However, in real estate, more often than not, we're not using a general durable power of attorney. Sometimes we are, um, but usually we're using a specific limited power of attorney, a power of attorney that names somebody, even sometimes your attorney, to sign documents for you for a specific closing under the terms of a specific contract and with a limitation, a, a termination date, you know, a time in which they're no longer going to hold that power. So usually in real estate, we're using a specific limited power of attorney um, with, you know, less rights under it, less powers, less risks, of course, to the principal, um, but allowing for the closing to occur when you're out of the state, out of the country, or unable to attend for one reason or another. And before we wrap up here, I wanted to just ask you one last question. What is your best piece of advice for someone who is just getting started and just starting to think about planning their estate their um, estate? what What are those like first things that they should that they should do? I love that question because what I find is that clients don't put together their estate plan or, they're not clients because they don't do it, I suppose. Um, people don't put together their estate plan because it's overwhelming. It feels terrifying. It's thinking about something we don't want to think about, our disability, our ultimate death. So we tuck it away and every once in a while it comes back, it rears its you know ugly head in our brain, reminding us we haven't done it yet, giving us these concerns, and then we push it away again. It's not as overwhelming as people think, or it can be broken down in a way that it's not. With the clients that I work with, the first meeting, our initial consultation, is really just an education. What I do is break down what a will plan is, what a revocable living trust plan is, what the benefits are, what the detriments are, and what the flat fee cost is, which is you know the way that we bill at our office. No surprises, everything up front. I will tell you nine times out of 10, my clients walk out of that meeting with a sense of relief. This is not going to be the overwhelming obstacle they thought it was going to be. It's a process. It can be managed. And with the guidance of a proper attorney, it's not as scary as you might think. So just make the appointment. That's what I would suggest. Just make the appointment, hear the attorney out, and then make a decision. But I think people would be surprised at how manageable it really is to get done. That was such amazing advice and information that you shared with us today. And I thank you so much for being here and for being part of our podcast. Um, just, you know, remember out there um, as realtors, you know, a lot of times we are just going to refer our clients if they're talking about estate planning, we're going to re refer them to an attorney, right? So their situation is going to be unique and their estate planning is going to be um, unique to them. The only other thing that I would add is just make sure you understand your estate plan and you know exactly what's in there and you know what you need to do and rely on your relationship with your attorney. So thank you so much for joining us today. We absolutely love sharing information with all of you and providing these super interesting topics. So we look forward to seeing you again on our next episode. And until then, be well. Be well.